Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. Uh, I'm here with the trusty ginger bow hunter, Mr. Jacob Myers. Jacob, how you doing, man? Dude, doing fantastic. Doing great. It's been an awesome weekend. And, uh, 
as you, as you normally say, just been diversifying the freezer. Uh, so it's been it's been a good time. Yeah, yeah, dude, that sounds fun. Um, but yeah, Memorial Day. Um, let us not forget the reason for this day. I was looking. I was reading some stuff a little bit earlier about like U.S. military history and everything. And over the course of the United States and all of our wars from like the Revolutionary War until now, we've had about 1.1 million soldiers killed in the line of duty. Is that not crazy? Oh, wow. 1.1 million. Per- yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Holy cow. About 2,500 on D-Day alone. I mean, dude. But 2,500 or 25,000? 2,500. Dang. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of that's a lot of folks, but we killed a bunch more Germans. So, World War champs, but not to make jokes of it. But man, yeah, it's a it's a good holiday. Thanks to all the men and women out there who have served, and thanks to their families because the the family goes through a lot as well. So, we want to thank all of our uh, men and women in uniform. We appreciate you doing what you do, so we can do what we do. You know, so thank you to everybody out there who does that. And uh, I hope everybody knows that that's what uh, Memorial Day is all about. It's not just about, you know, drinking beer and catching catfish and swimming and making a fool of yourself. Unless you're Jacob, who has been doing all of those things. Jacob, what you been up to? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, started off the weekend, <clears throat> kind of early, did a little, a little uh, taking a four-day weekend off, took off Friday, and actually went noodling, dude, which was... Uh, Interesting to say the least, dude. Uh, I'll I will give everyone that legit noodles. Like not people like oh yeah I've done it a few times, but like people that actually go out and noodle. Freaking props, you people are B to the A, okay? Because uh, dude, it is sketchy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's listen, it's not sketchy. Like okay, so we went with um oh I don't mean try to botch it. Uh, Big Tennessee uh, Adventures, Big Tennessee Catfish Adventures. And uh, with uh, Captain Will up in Tennessee, Eastern Tennessee, and dude, it was a freaking awesome time. You know, rolled up, and he actually uh, did. It was a, it was a giveaway or not a giveaway? It was a free trip. Like he was doing a free trip all day long. I think he took a total of I don't know five five people, took three that morning, and then two of us that afternoon. And uh, dude, it was a freaking blast. I mean, went out there and really did not know what to expect, which is the crazy thing uh, about noodling because you know you always hear people. Oh yeah, you know, run your hand up in a hole. Well, that's not necessarily how they do it over there, which is which is pretty cool. So. Yeah, that, yeah, that looked really fun. Um, and if anybody can hear this background noise that I'm hearing right now, I'm sorry. We're just lazy, and we haven't gone and bought a cord that won't make that noise. So if you can hear it, ah. I'm <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to Best Buy tomorrow, and I'm fixing it because it's oh, dude, it's oh, it's ridiculous. Well, that's why you got the Mac, man. Do a little editing. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I was just thinking about that when we when we get done with this, I'm gonna see if I can. If it did come through, I'm gonna see if I can cut it out. But, um, so I made a mistake because for okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. But just just so you know, uh, I want this point of the the point of this podcast to eventually be, um, five things to scout this summer for this deer season. And I completely forgot to tell you that before we before right now. But before, oh, dang. yeah, so just keep that in the back of your mind. But also, I want you to explain all the daggum catfish you've been tearing up this weekend. Well, I want to talk about noodling first because again, I learned so much stuff that I did not even imagine mm-hmm. like when it came to noodling, dude. So 
I didn't realize, and I saw this on face on um, Instagram. Someone posted and tagged Hannah Baron in it with all these boxes. Well, dude, they literally go out. I guess there are people that legit go out and find natural holes, but Will has you know thousands over the last thirty years of, of guiding and fishing has you know thousands of these what he calls boxes out there, and they're anywhere between four foot long and four foot by two foot, um, all the way to five foot by three foot. Okay, and the five foot by three foot is where he's literally pulling out, you know, 70 pound blue cats, um, which is freaking terrifying to think about. <laughs> dude. I mean, all honesty. Well, you know, we went out and tried it. I learned two things by the very first hole. Uh, first off, Jacob floats. Second off, Jacob can't hold his breath all that long. <laughs> Jacob floats. <laughs> so when you got some extra blubber on you, all right, you are very buoyant. Did you, so, have a, did you have trouble staying under? Did you have to have dudes like stepping on you and stuff? No, yeah, Will would freaking so what? So with the hole, okay, on the on the box, okay, each box would have like a foot and a half wide hole, give or take. Yeah, you know, eighteen inches or so, and. um when we come up to a hole, we come up from the back side of it and he quickly have this, he has this, um, Oh man, it's like a wooden dowel with a piece of plywood on the front of it that he'd block the hole with. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he'd like step around real quick, block the hole and, you know, we're in like three feet of water and, uh, and he'd open it up just, you know, a couple inches wide where we'd run a, um, cane pole up in there, you know, piece of piece, piece of cane, piece of bamboo, whatever. And you go up in there and you'd like freaking feel around, jab around and feel if you feel anything soft or really you, you can tell something's in there and you can quickly tell that's a fish. So then another thing that's want to hit off the head off the point is like, Oh, you know, everyone's like all oh, scared about getting bit by a turtle or whatever. Well, the thing is with these boxes, he has holes, like some of them just pine boxes where he's using pine, uh, you know, plywood and everything, you know, making the boxes. Uh, some are just made out of, um, an old uh, barn wood, all kinds of stuff. Well, there's holes in it, and he sinks it where there's no oxygen. There's absolutely no air pockets at all in there. He puts rocks on top of it and everything uh, to kind of hold it down. And there's absolutely no reason why a turtle would ever go in there because he's got to come up to get air again. Um, but again, when you run a stick up in there, you will definitely feel what's in there. And also, we found out catfish will bite the crap out of that stick when you stick it up in the hole. <laughs> so, oh, really? Uh, oh, yes. Oh yes, dude! I'm telling you, it was freaking Those intense, suckers, man. Like you, y'all were torn up after you left, but also, which I'm sure you're gonna mention this, uh, Cody and Alyssa, uh, or Allie, whatever she goes by. I haven't talked to her, but um, dude, they caught some big fish, and they their arms looked like someone just whacked it with a baseball bat that had sandpaper glued to it. Yeah, so yeah, we'll go over that in a little bit because yeah, I'm, I'm bruised up too. Now I'm not necessarily bruised up from just like fish spotting me, but really just from like running your hand in his holes. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, it's tight and it's like, it's wood and just freaking and just like kind of bruise you up. Um, and yeah, that was, that was the first thing I noticed when I got back the next day, my freaking rod arm was just freaking just sore as hell. But, uh, so the, the first hole we go to, okay. Not checking everything. There's nothing there. I got some sick footage though. Uh, we go to the second hole. Like we literally just like we're walking across, you know, it's like chest deep water. Get to this next hole. And uh, go in, and there's a, there's a fish in it, and uh, I, I can feel the stick and everything, and you can, uh, I mean, you can feel the freaking fish. Now this one didn't bite it, but you could feel it like you push it around, and it like, it slapped the stick with its tail and like move around the box. Uh, so they're like, okay, you know, kind of put your hand in there, and you know, kind of get a feel for it. You know, we're wearing gloves and water shoes, and all kind of stuff. Well, I put my hand in there, 
still with the stick, kind of like feeling around where the fish is at. And dude, all of a sudden, it just smacks my freaking uh, my arm. You know, I'm in there <laughs> probably elbow deep, and dude, I'm under the water, and dude, it just smacks my arm. And dude, I like freaked, I freaked the hell out because I was like, I just wasn't expecting it, dude. I mean, I've never done this. You screamed. Whatever you're under you. the water. No, not that. No, not not that time. Not okay. that time. Okay, we'll get, we'll to get that into then. that. But okay. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, I instantly just pulled my arm out, and again, there's the hole is only big enough for really me to get to my shoulder. So mm-hmm. you know, eight ten inches wide. Well, when I pull my arm out, daggum fish flies out of the hole and, and blows through the freaking plywood. Like knocks knocks dude uh, knocks a wheel off the uh, off the uh, the block. So it shot out, and we're like, "Daggum it!" Like, you know, we're talking about it. He's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Next time, just, just leave your arm in there." And I'm like, "Okay." Like, your body's telling you, and your mind's telling you, "Don't." Why the hell are you doing this? But then <laughs> everyone like, else is like, "Oh no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine." <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's ex- literally what's happening. Oh god. And again, you know, if any of our listeners have actually been noodling, you know, some of you guys can probably re- relate. Maybe on your first time, and maybe others are like, "Oh, this guy's a pansy." Which you, you I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Probably right. <laughs> But we so we ran we ran around a couple more holes, went to this little cove, dude. And uh, Will actually had made some, you know, uh, he's gonna call them holes. Every box we go to goes a hole. He made a hole out of like a artificial rock um, mm-hmm. that he had he had a couple guys make for him. And dude, this thing was huge. I mean, this thing was five foot again, five foot long, probably three and a half feet wide. Well, it was the other guy's turn. Actually, yeah, I let the other guy go. I'm filming. We're dude, we're like in four feet of water. And he goes down, and he, like, runs a stick in there, and all of a sudden we hear a thud. Like, you can hear a thud from above the water. And it was the catfish <laughs> biting the freaking pole. He pulls it out, and the freaking thing's all chewed up. <laughs> and then, and and then he's like, like, go stick your arm in there now. Oh, yeah, and this guy was, he, dude, he, he's like, he's he's a uh, arm, he's an army vet. You know, he's probably, you probably, you know, 35, 40 years old. But uh, he's a kind of good old boy, but he's never done it before. And, dude, they're like, well, put your arm in there now. And he's like, we know what's in there. And like, dude, like, you could feel it like swimming around, banging up against the freaking rock inside. Like, oh my God, it, it felt big. And dude, you could see his face and he was like, he's like, put my arm in there. He's like, they're like, yeah, but just, you're good. You're good. Put your arm in there. It's like, just keep your hand, keep your thumb. Make sure you keep all your fingers together. Don't flare your fingers out. Cause if he grabs a finger and rolls, it'll probably break your finger. It's like keep all your fingers in line, <laughs> keep your thumb against your palm and kind of just run it in there. It's like you want it to bite you. He's like, if it bites over your hand, just let it bite you and release, and then just pull your hand back out. Okay, like don't don't worry about trying to pull it out because you'll lose the fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he wanted. He's like, you you want to put your hand in there. You want it to bite you across pretty much the knuckles. Okay, and then get your thumb out and then be able to grab his lip. Easy Man. enough. <laughs> Easy enough said when you don't know what the heck how big this fish is. So dude goes back down there and he's like, he's messing with it. And dude, you can hear, like, you can hear, and finally it, it bites him, dude. And he bites him and you hear something. You see bubbles from like him, like yelling under the water. <laughs> and he, he comes back out and he like, he puts his foot in the hole to like block it. And he's like, he's like, did it bite you? He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah. Then <laughs> he right across the freaking hand. He's like, it bent up to like almost his forearm, dude. And oh, I'm like, Jesus yeah. Christ. So, anyways, he runs his hand back in there. And uh, finally, it like it bites him, dude. I mean, you can legit hear it when it chomps down on him uh, from above the waterline. We all look at each other. He's like, "Oh, dude, he's probably got it." And dude starts like flailing under the water. This is a big guy. This dude's like he's like you know six foot, probably two fifty, two sixty. And he's like flailing under the water. And uh, finally, he's like he's like he brings his head back up. He's like, "He's like, I got it, I got it." And uh, they pull it up, dude. It's like a thirty something pound blue cat. And dude, I was like, "Oh my god!" Dang, oh, it was crazy, man. dude. 
And you're That's like, impressive. that fish was just in that hole. Dude. I mean, big old head on it. I mean, I got, again, sick footage. It was crazy. Absolutely crazy. And, like, to be honest, I was way more calm before that. And then I saw that. I'm like, oh, dude, I don't know about this anymore. <laughs> Dang, I'm like, man. that's cool. I'm like, that's cool. But uh, that's also pretty freaking sketchy. Dang. So. Well, yeah. And then, like like I said, Allie caught one that was like 50 pounds. Oh, yeah, dude. Imagine how oh, bad no, that yeah. joker bit. Yeah, so she messaged me after they were out there. Because uh, she was actually the one that got me like a spot up there because uh, I've been talking to her about trying to go noodle and everything. And she was able to kind of put me in contact with a wheel to get that, uh, that uh, trip going. But uh, yeah, dude, her and Cody, like within like two holes caught a 50 pound, she caught a 50 pound and he caught a 55 pound blue cat. The, that, so, and that I, blue cat, those two, those two catfish looked ridiculous, dude. They're so big that they hardly even look like catfish anymore. Especially with her, she dude, she she can't weigh more than a hundred pounds soaking wet. Oh god, no, seriously. No, I mean, well, let's well, well, let's give her a shout out real quick because she put us on that on that trip or put you on that trip. So where can people find oh. her stuff? Yeah, so of course, if you don't already know about Allie from Alabama, um, of course, Instagram is probably the best place. Instagram and Facebook, but uh, yeah, she's she's an awesome person. Her and Cody, and uh, definitely kind of got me more interested into the whole noodling aspect. They they grow up, they grew up um, at least. Uh, Allie grew up really close to where you and me live. Yeah, they kind of got me more interested into into doing, you know, a trip and everything, kind of getting into it. And after going on the trip, I found out how kind of simple it is, but it still takes freaking balls of steel to freaking do it, man. Yeah. Uh, that's just the freaking truth. I, but, yeah, uh, I mean, dude, I can see that. Like, I'm intrigued by it. Like, I want to try it, but, I mean, setting the time aside and, like, going and doing it and actually participating in something like that so it's totally different than just wanting to do it you know i mean i would go again but the number one thing i would do like lessons to anyone's gonna try to do it um first off i would definitely make sure that you can hold your breath like if, if you can hold your breath for like a minute you're you're you're, you're golden mm-hmm. uh i was more around like 25 seconds maybe like just because i'd get under there and be freaking like freaking use up all my oxygen freaking flailing my arm up in there trying to get bit mm-hmm. and then come back up and i'm like you, you know you you need time down there. that's the biggest thing because you can't you have to coax sometimes sometimes the fish is super aggressive and you stick your hand down there and the second your hand goes through the hole like it's it's on your freaking hand and uh, most of the time they were talking about if that's the situation you know you're dealing with more females like actually on eggs and once mm-hmm. that happens they're way more aggressive uh yeah. we were catching i think we caught all males and they caught i think eight fish the whole day and, uh, you know, the biggest, they had caught a couple 40 pounders, a couple 30 pounds and you know, the fish we caught. And, uh, anyways, it was, it was crazy, but, you know, we kind of ran around the rest of the afternoon and it was still kind of early in the season that, you know, we, you know, Will was talking to us, the lake we were on is quite clear. I forgot that I don't know the name of it. Um, but it was a really clear water lake. I mean, dude, I guess hopefully I got some really cool footage of the GoPro underwater, uh, going through some holes and everything. But, um, Anyways, it's still kind of early, so not a whole bunch of really no female fish were already on beds. It was pretty much males going in, cleared out beds, and kind of getting ready for the female. Mm-hmm. And um, anyways, we kind of went a little bit longer, and we were checking some holes right in front of this uh, really nice house that the guy knew, uh, Will knew, and had some uh, had some boxes out in front of it. And it's super shallow water. I mean, dude, we were in you know two and a half feet of water, three feet of water at the very deepest. And uh, checked one hole, nothing was in it. Uh, I'll tell you what it scared the crap out of you though. When you check a hole and a freaking bass flies out of it when your hand goes in there, that scared the hell out of you. 
that will get you, boy. But anyways, second hole we check, I run that stick in there and I start moving around. And I'm like, I'm pushing a fish around. And it's like, it's like biting at the stick. I'm like, oh shit. I'm like, well, there's a fish in there. And they're like, all right, well, go get them. Well, the freaking thing had, it was like dusting out the inside of the box. And this box was a little shorter. It's a four foot by two foot box. And uh, he was dusting out the box and the entrance was like tight. And, you know, I ain't the skinniest guy. I ain't got the skinniest shoulder either. So I'm like, I put my hand in there, dude, a couple times. I can't I can't reach him. He's in the very back of the box. I can't reach him. I got short little stubby arms. And uh, can't reach him, can't reach him. Well, finally, I run in there with a stick. He's like, well, get this. He gave me like a short stick. He was like eight inches long. So I get it to the back of the box and like move the fish around. And a fish around, they freaking bit me. I, I like let go of the stick and I was like, put my hand back in there after I moved it close to the, the entrance. Ran my hand in there, dude, and it bit me right across the top of my hand, like, you know, across my fingers, you know, up to my thumb. And dude, when it bit me, I freaking, I freaking yelled underwater. And, you know, this just caught me off guard. And definitely, you know, wasn't comfortable. Like, <laughs> no, yeah. Means. I mean, did uh, it hurt? It was like the way to describe, I mean, Definitely wasn't pleasant, but it wasn't like, like, oh, God, like, freaking broke my f- hand or anything. But it, what, the, what it feels like is, like, think of, like, slamming. Okay, this is the way I could describe it. Slamming your hand in, like, a door frame. That that sounds but, extremely unpleasant. But, no, no, but, but it wouldn't be, like, but no sharp edges. So it's, like, round edges, and you can, but it, it's like a vice claim. I mean, it hits you real hard and then lets go. And that's exactly what it felt like. I mean, yeah, again, kind of like slamming your hand in the door frame. Um, You're like, it's not, it's not necessarily unpleasant. It's like slamming your hand in the door frame. Like, yeah, man, I mean, you got, you got weird taste. <laughs> um, uh, that's just the only thing I can really think of that would really kind of make sense because how fast it was. So it missed me once I can. I was like, oh yeah, and they like, it, and they heard it. So heard I mean, it, it just, it just like nailed you and left. Yes, like straight up nailed, and I couldn't like. First of all, it caught me off guard. Second of all, it bit me up like over the top of my thumb so i couldn't like grab it or anything mm-hmm. and it's happened real quick so i put my hand back in the box put my hand back in the box and it bites me again on the side of the hand so it bites me like on like the pinky ring finger up the side of my hand to like my wrist and i'm like oh okay great and then like after that freaking he goes back in the box again i can't reach him and dude i work on this fish for like 25 minutes finally we get one of the other guys i'm like hey you know try and get one of the other guys I'm like Trying to see if you can either get the fish aggressive, because after that the fish wouldn't bite or anything. I'd run a stick in there and it just like it would slap it with its tail. And uh anyways, the guy goes in there and he starts like freaking jabbing the fish with a with a with one of the sticks to try to get it to bite. And finally it bites him and dude, it bites him on the freaking forearm, like across the forearm. Oh, and he yeah. pulls out there and he like blows bubbles. He pulls out and he's like, God dang it. And I'm like, he's like, he's like, <laughs> I'm like, bite you. And he pulls his arm out of the water, dude, and it's just blood going down his arm. I mean, like legit. Dang, <laughs> where man. it bit, yeah, where it bit him, it just like cut him with his teeth and everything, and he just started bleeding. I'm like, ooh, okay. Or right, he's like, I'm like, yeah. He's like, he thinks he's a good fish. He's like, I don't know. It just bit the crap out of me. I still don't know how big it is. So he goes back there, works a little bit more, and finally, it bites on his hands, and he's like, he he it bites on his hands. He's like, all right, hey, I'm, hey, I'm gonna pull it out. I'm like, okay. And I was on, I was on a blocker, and uh, it grabs him, and he like finally comes out with it and dude i swear to god it's like a i don't know like a 15 pound blue cat yeah and it was just mean as hell again wasn't wasn't all that big but just big enough that you know your hand would fit in its mouth and like when it bit me the first time i knew it wasn't that big because i could feel when it bit down across my hand i could feel both sides of its head um 
So I was like, you know, it's not, not a giant. Plus, it's a four foot by two foot box, and I'm flailing my arms all the way around inside of it. And I'm like, it's on the back corner, so it can't be, you know, it can't be giant. But uh, so anyways, dude, when it, it when it like when it bites you, you have like a split second to grab its mouth. Is that pretty typical, or like do they sometimes well, I, latch on and you kind of have time to work on? Yeah. It? Yeah, so like supposedly, I, I was talking to Will about that, and again, we're going to get Will on a little bit later on this uh, sometime in the summertime to have talk about this. Um, there's different situations. There's sometimes he says, you know, especially if you get like a real docile male or female. Sometimes, especially he says on flatheads, this is the case. You'll go in there and you have to turn the fish around. And he won't, it won't bite you. You have to find its mouth with your fingers, and then literally stick your fingers in its mouth and grab its jaw. Okay. Huh. He's like other times. Other times they're super aggressive. They'll bite you, and they literally just won't let go. Whether it's they have you up all the way up to like almost the elbow, like it's a real big fish, or you know it's around your wrists. Like sometimes they just won't let go. Mm-hmm. And then other times they they like he almost calls it like a like a hard like peck where they come in they they chomp down but they let go real quick. It's like a defense. Um, I guess a defense fight, and that's pretty much what happened to us. Now that big fish bit that dude and would not let go of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that thirty pounder that we uh, that we filmed. So it, it just depends. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you one thing. After dealing with that, I definitely would would rather want to deal with a bigger fish than a smaller fish for two reasons. One reason is if it's a bigger fish, especially in a box that size, you're going to be able to get to that fish a lot easier. Uh, that was my biggest thing. I got short little stubby arms. Dude. I mean, I was, I was underwater having a guy push me down underwater up to my shoulder, like up to my armpit. My armpit's all freaking – or like right there in the underarm is all freaking like bruised up from that box. I just couldn't reach that fish. Yeah. Well, noodling sounds fun. And then um, you got done noodling, and you started tearing them up with the rod and reel these last two days. Did your mama catch that big fish that you put on the no, Instagram story? No, no, she just netted. She was my, she was my net girl. Oh, so. Okay. All right. That still counts. Mama oh, tearing yeah, up the catfish. I got you. Heck yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah had, uh, we've been, we've been as collectively as the Southern Outdoors and me and you – We've been we've been killing a bunch of fish lately. Like, oh, yeah. I, I went out with Cy the other night. Cy Collie, our buddy that lives down in Eclectic, Alabama, and uh, I went down there with him, and we tore up some crappie the other night. It wasn't the best night. I think we came away with like sixteen fish or something like that, which we could it could have been better. Um, but we we still caught a bunch of crappie. I caught a stripe, which I've never even seen a stripe before, because I mean I never. If you've listened to this for a while, yeah, dude, I've never fished big water like that. Like, I I have very little experience fishing big lakes like what we were in. And so, yeah, we were fishing uh, dock lights with just little little jigs and caught a couple bass, caught a couple, uh, caught one stripe. I'm the only one that caught a stripe, and then we caught a bunch of crappie. It was funny, man, because we were uh, – we were fishing, and so I had another buddy there, and he he caught like a pretty big bass. It was a spot, and uh, that we were like getting it off the hook and everything. And Cy was turned around doing something. And Jacob, you you'll know how funny this is because you know Cy, because Cy like just the way he talks and everything. Like he's like real calm about stuff. And uh, this dude, <laughs> he unhooks this fish and tosses it back. And as soon as that thing hits the water, Cy whips around. He's like, what'd you do? <laughs> he's like, we don't throw them back, man. We eat those things. It was funny, dude. It was That's hilarious. That's freaking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, Cy's a character. Holy crap. Yeah, man, Cy's fun. And, yeah, he put us on some fish. But we'll, we're going to go back out there and do that again, hopefully pretty soon. And hopefully they'll bite a little bit better. 
so I had a really good night a few nights before I got there. They caught like 40 or something like that. And they were – the limit, I think, is um, is 30 in Alabama. And the size limit's nine inches. And, I mean, they were throwing nine inches back just because they had bigger ones in the cooler. I mean, they had a great night. So hopefully I'll be able to get back out there with them and uh, do that again pretty soon. But uh, you today have been catching a bunch of catfish, right? Oh, well, today and yesterday, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been freaking wiping them out. I mean, definitely yesterday was probably one of my best days I've ever had catfishing. Um, I think we caught, I don't know, 10, 10 or 12 yesterday. And, uh, you know, I, I played at all or all but a couple. We threw a couple little ones back. And, uh, yeah, dude, flayed them. And, oh, my God, man, I got some fillets. I got one fillet. I was telling you, I can. I put it on my arm, you know, my palm out, palm facing upward. It goes from the tip of my middle finger almost halfway up my forearm. That's how big a fillet is, dude. And, yeah. like, over an inch thick from, like, one of the – one of the, I think one of the catfish that we had was like a little over 10 pounds. And, uh, I mean, just freaking got every bit of meat off them, dude. It was fantastic. But like you said, they're first to find the freezer, dude. And, uh, yeah. did that. And another, another cool thing I was able to do is, uh, I bought a, uh, 25 horsepower electric start Mercury outboard tilt steer, tiller motor, whatever you want to call it, uh, earlier this week. And uh, then turn around and bought a 14-foot um, John boat. It's uh, a wide model. I think it's like 42 or 46 inches wide uh, from a guy with a with a really good trailer for 400 bucks. Got a heck of a deal on that, dude. Nice. And uh, we've been running that. We've been running that thing around too. And uh, uh, little bro's been wiping out some bass over here on uh, Lake Gunnersville. That's where we're at. So heck it's been yeah, a heck man. of a time. Heck yeah, man! Don't give up your spot. Come on, dude. Oh yeah, freaking giant <laughs> lake that's like top three in the country for freaking largemouth for bass fishing. I mean, the Bassmaster Classic is gonna be here next year. Yeah, like I'm doing anything. Best kept secret, man. Yeah, actually, well, hey, <laughs> I've actually got I've actually got a hook hookup for us, and, uh, which you can talk about a little bit later. Uh, doing a bow fishing trip up here, dude. With All some right. guys. Yeah. That, All right, I'm down for that. that. Yep. So one, that's actually the guy I bought the boat from. He actually is a welder and. Um, or so much of pipelines and everything and dude he built his own airboat from the ground up like we did the whole thing so uh, and that's what they that's what they use up here and freaking tell me some of the tournaments they've done up here and be able to get over you know a thousand, right at a thousand pounds in one night so yeah well heck yeah man pretty well, crazy um so you're up there right now and we got this whole summer ahead of us and we got um basically a bunch of weekends over the summer months where we can make things happen. And so we're going to be deer scouting a whole bunch. So we're going to kind of shift gears here and let's talk deer a little bit and, and deer scouting stuff. So I know that me and you have, I mean, probably at least like four different areas that we're wanting to hit this summer at some point where we're going to go and try and find some deer to kill this fall. So why don't we go over, let's just try and make it five things to look for while summer scouting like over the summer months like five five key things that that you want to go out there and find so does anything kind of hit the hit the board right off the top of your head yeah number one thing is always access you know trying to find to me summer months is a great time to really kind of dial in your access or or at least have a a better idea especially if you're going to some place you've never been to before um so that's like the number one thing in my opinion is you know, try to figure out access because we already know, you know, some of these areas, they already look good from a map, 
And, uh, you know, biggest thing is just kind of going in there and just making sure our access is pretty dialed in, especially if we're having to use, you know, anything other than, should I say, walking in um, and make sure all that's dialed in because that's the worst thing that could ever happen to you, you know, using a piece of equipment and you think you can get to some spot and turns out, you know, you have different, you know, roadblocks or whatever that just won't allow you to get to the area you want to get to. So you're talking about like specifically like, like if a road's gated or if there's a big mud hole, you can't get past or something like that. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, I mean yes, but no. Yeah. Also thinking for other road bro- roadblocks, uh, especially if you're using water access or whatever, um, oh, you know, yeah. anything that could, that could hinder, you know, you're at entrance into an area, you know, that's something I want to kind of dial down or dial up now, kind of get an idea of how to be able to get in some spots. Yeah. Uh, Cause again, cliffs. you know, we talk about it all the time. Yeah. Cliffs, anything like that. Oh God. Yeah. What? Never done that. Yep. Nope. Um, <clears throat> so in my opinion, that's one thing I definitely want to, you know, figure out this summer is, you know, some of these areas we haven't necessarily hunted these areas that we want to scout, you know, how can we get in there? in a efficient way because most likely you know i'm sure there will be some things that will be different come deer season uh when it comes to access whether you know weather or whatever is the issue uh, but still i just have a general idea of how to be able to get in some of these areas efficiently that's that's what i want to find out so yeah. what's what's one thing that's kind of important for you well i was gonna say as far as roadblocks go just kind of expanding on that that one place that me and you really want to hunt uh, last year when we were up there, a potential roadblock that I'm glad that we found when we did is that little, like, freaking quicksand pit that I stepped into. You remember that? I went, well, that's like the whole the whole freaking place is like that. Well, the whole place wasn't like where I stepped, where we were trying to cross this beaver dam, and I'm like, Jacob didn't have on knee boots, and the whole time he was giving me crap, like, man, you're so lucky you got knee boots on. I'm getting wet. And I was like, well, okay, since I got the knee boots, let me see how, how deep this mud is. And I take a step. No, no, I'm, you're just like, how deep is this water? Because it was water you were stepping into. Yeah. It was a couple inches deep. Yeah. And, and you just went I had way deep. too much faith. I had way too much faith in that mud. Yeah, and I just I step, and I go straight up to my crotch. I mean, I, my entire leg is in the mud. And I was like, Jacob, I'll straight, up, straight up, straight up tea bag the freaking mud. <laughs> I like, no, I like no other way to put it. toss the camera up on the bank. I'm like, help. <laughs> I like reach out. You're like pulling me out of the mud. And then we get to walking, and I'm like, something's biting me. And I like undo my, uh, I like uh, lift up my pants leg, and there's freaking leeches all over my leg. I'm like, great, great. So that was fun. That's a good thing to find. But um, another thing that uh, – number two. Okay, so number two that we should scout this summer, things that we're looking for, um, of course, is going to be buck beds for me. Um, I just want to find deer beds. I'm still trying to figure out kind of what what their place is in, in hunting down here. So, like, obviously, Dan Infault and all them have it dialed in ridiculously well in the Midwest. But – you know, up there, there's the 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 food sources in most cases, and especially the the cover and the bedding areas are much much more defined or much more scarce than they are down here. So, like if Dan Enfault or somebody is in a big cattail marsh and there's four islands that are dry ground in that cattail marsh, there there's gonna be beds on those islands. Where down here, you might have. Uh, Let's see, let's say, for example, like 5,000 acres of public land and like 2,500 acres of it might be cut over, you know? 
So mm-hmm. there's a lot of cover out there, and it's, it's just kind of hard to narrow down. But um, I still like finding the beds just because it teaches you more about the deer and kind of the areas that they're using. And for me, I think the biggest difference it made for me last year for most of the season was just access. Like how can I access an area differently or, or where, where are these deer going to be? And one thing that I realized is that even though you might have like where I'm from, it's pretty common to have clear cuts that are over like 40 acres. And you'd think that the deer are just all over that clear cut, you know, just kind of bedded wherever they want to be bedded. But what we have found, and I know that you can attest to this, Jacob, is that 99% of those beds are going to be in like one part of that cutover or one one kind of feature within that cutover. So, for example, where I shot that doe last year and we tracked her, there's that big, huge cutover right there that's well over 40 acres and like almost all of the beds are on this one little point that juts out over the creek where it kind of juts into the hardwoods. And that part of the bedding area is smack full of beds. So that's something good to know when you're hunting it or trying to get past something like that to go to, you know, where you are going to hunt. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I mean, that's, that's key. I mean, that was something I think we talked about earlier is, you know, especially some of these places that we haven't hunted, um, that we want to scout this summer definitely that's you know pretty high on the list is just trying to figure out possible buck bedding areas um again you know if we find beds it's even bonus but again I, you know some of the beds now may or may not be um may not apply for the time we'll be hunting it yeah but at least kind of have an idea i'd love to find some doe bedding areas as well and kind of get an idea of possibly some doe bedding uh mm-hmm. in some of these areas and also how that correlates with, you know, of course, food sources, but also any kind of natural funnels or pinch points that, uh, you know, might be able, yeah. you know, put something in our favor, especially if we're going out and we're hunting some of these places later on in the season. You know, late season food sources are going to be huge, uh, depending on, especially depending on what the acorn crop looks like for this year. Yeah. And I, you know what? I've had time to, like, really think about this since the season went out, and I've kind of come to the conclusion that the single biggest thing I learned this season was, like, seasonal cover where like i think we've talked about this before but me and our buddy zach eccles put out a trail camera on a piece of public land that me and him have been hunting for years now and we put the camera out there on this buck bed where i literally jumped a buck out of the bed in the summertime it was probably sometime in late june or early july when i when i saw this buck and there's a huge just worn out bed right there like what you always hear about from the guys up north and so we put a camera on it and we left that camera until well into the deer season and i went and checked it in like december or something like that and that camera i mean that can't not the camera the bed was being used regularly by all kinds of deer it was being used by does it was being used by a couple little bucks and one pretty nice 10 point which might have been the deer that i saw um and they used it really heavily all the way up until the leaves dropped. And when the leaves dropped, that little area was much more open, and they just moved out of there. And for like two solid months, there was not a single picture of a deer on that camera. They just literally never went in there. So I think that one thing, kind of building on that bedding thing that I'm going to be looking for, is cover that is going to stay good cover throughout the entirety of the season. Like not... Not stuff that's like choked out with little hardwood saplings where all the leaves are going to fall off or whatever. Or like a blackberry thicket where kind of the leaves are going to fall off again and you can really see in there. But maybe something a little that a little more evergreens, like maybe around kind I'll of say, central. One thing, 
well, one thing that jumps out at me when you're talking about that, it would be privet. I mean, that's something that's privet. pretty, yep, pretty popular in the southeast. I mean, dude, it. I mean, you talk about cover that stays year round. I mean, that's that's the ticker right mm-hmm. there. Yeah, privet, um, greenbrier, which greenbriers are great deer food. Like browse on it pretty heavily. Um, I don't know where this is all distributed, but in central Alabama, it's pretty common. It's called a bacaris, or some people call it bacaris hedge. Uh, that stays green all year, and I find a lot of beds in that stuff. Um, really, other than that, I mean, young pines, but typically when you get in young pines or cedars that are really thick, it, the ground level isn't all that great because uh, it's just it's either too thick or it's open underneath. Um, mm-hmm. So that's one thing you kind of have to worry worry about with like a an old cutover that the pines are coming coming back in either if they're if they've been planted or if it's just a natural regenerating stand then when they get to a certain age and they start getting a little bit of size to them especially like around you know most of the south where you're getting like loblolly pine and it starts getting a little bit of mass to it at a pretty early age you know it might look really thick from the outside but when you get in there it's uh it's pretty open a little bit like kind of underneath the understory is open like you kind of you have to look at it basically from your waist down because that's kind of a deer's level where they're going to be living at. Mm-hmm. And it's something I noticed today just driving down the road where there's like a, a little place that it looks like a thicket and the, the edge of this place is really thick. It's like a little just wood lot that's got really young trees in it, just kind of pine hardwood mix. And the edge is just honeysuckle and briars and all kinds of nasty stuff. But when you look into it, it's kind of open up underneath there because once you get past that edge, no sunlight's getting in there and it's just wide open. And you might just assume that's a bedding area like, like I did when I was growing up. You know, you see it and it's thick and you're like, oh, there's deer in there. But really, usually that's not even the case and you waste a lot of time hunting something like that. So that's why finding beds is important for me. It just teaches you a lot about where the deer are and kind of just where they spend their time, I guess. But uh, you got anything else on that, or are you ready for to throw out number three? Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm ready to go to number three. All right. Hit me. Well, I'll kind of throw you one for a loop, and a lot of people would probably think, you know, food sources, this and that. Uh, another thing I'd be very interested in to look at this summer is hunting, looking for evidence of hunting pressure in years past. Oh, that's uh, a good one. Thinking on your feet. Yeah. That's pretty yeah, good. Uh, could, well, again, because we're talking hunting public land, guys. You know, we're not necessarily yeah. talking, you know, hunting private. I mean, you, you can do this on private, especially if you're on a lease for sure, uh, or if you're in a club. Uh, but you know, the guy that has his family farm and everything, you know, some of this stuff, you know, might might you could tweak for your own use. But you know, hunting pressure, I think, is something that you can definitely look at for this time of year. And you know, looking for old cigarette buds. You know, looking for, you know, spent shells. Even if it's small game, you know, are there guys, are there guys going into these areas, especially if you're finding bedding areas, you know, rabbit hunting. Um, well, you know, are you for seeing, guys like me who are out blasting squirrels in the best deer woods around? <laughs> yeah, what a loser! No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Got but, the uh, first one no, in the freezer, man. I know, but you know, there's there's a time and a place to do that. <laughs> Anyways, we'll do that around the house or something. Shoot them out, yeah, shoot them out the freaking bird feeder. I ain't baited <laughs> there. That's for that's for the that's for the birds. But uh. Anyway, so yeah, looking for hunting pressure, looking for old trails cut, looking for, you know, cat eyes as we call them, or, you know, uh, bright eyes or whatever you want to call them. Little you know, looking reflective for reflective thumbtacks that people put in trees. We call those cat yeah, eyes. Yeah, and it, again, guys, friends don't let friends use those ever. Okay? On public land. Oh my it's, gosh, yeah. It's 2019. You have a smartphone. You get on X and it's easy. 
Just, yeah. just get in, get out. No need to like no lay out a yellow brick road all the way to your best spot for everybody to oh, see. Oh, man, it drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah, But anyways, you know, looking for stuff like that on the way in. Again, this is something you're doing while you're possibly looking for uh, – definitely while looking for access to where you want to hunt, especially if you've never been there before. Look and see there's evidence of people hunting there you know, this past year, you know, you're going to see stuff, especially if it's from this past year, you know, you're going to see water bottles. You're going to see, uh, you know, cans of buck bomb and freaking all kinds of other scents. Scent I mean, you'll see stuff trees, like that. Yeah. Scent wicks. I mean, there's going to be, there will be evidence there if someone has been. There. Yeah. Um, and if there hasn't, then good. Or maybe there's someone hunting it like myself that tries not to leave anything behind. So you better watch out. Uh, <laughs> another thing you can do is, is especially if you're hunting someplace that has pines, you can look at a tree and see if someone's been climbing it multiple I was times. About the to, yeah, I was about to mention that. That's a great way will, to find hunting pressure. Because it will scar up a tree, especially you get some of these guys. You know, I've been guilty of it too in the past. You know, you hunt a spot multiple times, like, oh, it's a good spot. You know, you kill a few deer from there, whatever. You climb the same tree, and you, I've literally seen tr- pine trees that were almost bald because of guys climbing them that much, especially postseason. Um, so that's something else you can, you can find relatively easy. Um, I mean, what else you can think of, especially when you're trying to look at, you know, access or once you get into a spot, you're looking at bedding areas, you know, trying to see if there's been other hunting pressure there. Um, I mean, um, I, I would say, um, flagging tape, but really that's not that reliable because foresters and everybody, they, foresters and surveyors and everything, they use flagging tape as well. So just because you see flagging tape, you know, going through the woods does not mean that it was necessarily a hunter. But it might still be something to take into consideration. It might require a little bit of further investigation. But really just bottles, again, evidence of old tree stands. Um, one thing that I've encountered several times is people like illegally baiting on public land. And you can typically find that pretty easy. Like you can tell where somebody's baited. Like it'll kind of be a little more open. The ground might be a little more torn up or there's just not as much leaves on the ground or whatever or... Like I found uh, where several several times I found where people have poured like molasses or something on a stump and the deer have been eating the stump or they poured salt out or whatever. So that's something to keep into consideration just because, one, you know a guy's hunting there, but two, you don't want to get busted, you know, for something that you potentially didn't even know was there. Very true, very true. Because there's that one piece of folk that we, we have experience hunting on that that is a major problem that – Oh yeah. For some reason, doesn't always. Well, it might get fixed, but we just don't hear about it. So. Yeah, I mean, we had a guy like cut down a bunch of trees and plant a food plot and throw corn out and everything. It's it's a long story, but yeah, dude, ruined one of my best spots. Um, another thing that can you can look for that's still definitely very prominent right now, but might not be that prominent in a month is uh, just gates that took a lot of pressure. So, you know, if you're hunting in an area with, like, trailheads or gates where there's, like, a not a necessarily a great place to pull over and park, you know, people are kind of pulling over in the bushes, they're beating down grass, they're, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, like, one thing that I'll probably do tomorrow because I'm going to scout tomorrow is I'm going to go look at some gates in the area of the spot that I'm wanting to look at and I'm going to see if you can, if there's evidence of people pulling off on the side of the road a whole bunch to go in there. Um, and even not even at the gates, but just kind of anywhere on the road that would be a good place to pull over, see if that's been, you know, occurring throughout the hunting season. Cause if it, if it was occurring, there's still going to be, you know, uh, some dead vegetation there. It's still going to be laid down if they packed in the dirt, if it, if it was getting heavy pressure. So that, and that's just kind of another little subtle thing you can look for to see if there's been pressure there 
in the past. No, dude, I like it. I like it. So um, um, that brings us to number four, which I'll handle. Um, number four for me is habitat diversity. So last year, uh, early season, I did pretty good. I was on bucks. Uh, I was I found some beds. I missed a buck, um, which sucked. But at least I got to fling an arrow at something. And then the middle of the season, I kind of struggled because I just I I think I just put too much on my plate and I was bouncing around too much and I was thinking too hard because you can think yourself out of a deer real quick. Um, but then late season, I got back on them again, ended up killing a buck and a doe, and then you see seeing deer pretty much every sit on public land and uh, pretty much all those the those kills and encounters came in places where there's a lot of habitat diversity and a lot of soft edges. So. We talk a lot, a lot about hard edges where, you know, something might abruptly end. But last year, I was starting to have a lot better luck on on areas where there's more soft edges. Which, if you're unfamiliar, a soft edge in my case where I've been hunting would be like a cutover um, or a hardwood draw up inside of a cutover that kind of runs through it, and you have that really thick, nasty cutover that the deer are hanging out in. But then there's also sunlight penetrating those hardwoods. And when you have sunlight penetrating those hardwoods, you got a little bit of crap growing just kind of on the edge of the woods. You got briars and, and maybe privet if you got privet in your area that are this kind of uh, penetrating into that hardwood bottom. So it's not like an abrupt hard line between the thicket and the more open hardwoods, but there's kind of a transition there. And uh, that's where I was seeing most of my deer last year. And if you can find an area where there's like two or three different habitat types that kind of all mesh together. That That's typically a really good area, which Jacob, I know that you talked a lot about on the podcast this past fall. Yeah. And that's, that's something that I think is key, especially if you're trying to do something, maybe not, that's probably not the best thing to say, uh, not do something different. Um, when you're trying to find something, find an area, find something that's, maybe a lot of people are overlooking. That's probably the best thing to look for. You know, a lot of guys are looking for hard edges. They're looking for, you know, if you grow, if you're hunting the Southeast and you know, you're hunting a bunch of pines and there's a couple, you know, major hardwood drainages, there's going to be, especially if it's public land, talking public land here, there will be guys hunting. And a lot of the time mm-hmm. those guys are hunting that kind of stuff. I'm not going to say always, but a lot of times they are kind of more green public land hunters, or they're just the kind of guys that just, they've had success down there before and they just kind of sit over and, you know, they might go sometimes I don't know, I, I've met guys that are highly successful that do that kind of stuff. Then I met a ton of guys that are just like, Oh, you know, I've always been told to sit over hardwoods and, you know, they go down there and the problem is sitting on spots like that in a lot of places, especially in the Southeast, you have really bad swirling winds. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, you can kill, you can kill some good deer down there, kill some big deer down there. But also, there's a super high chance of getting busted. And that's, you know, a lot of guys would say, well, hey, you know, that's probably where you have the best chance of killing big deer is someplace like that because, you know, he has the advantage. True. But you're going to burn it out pretty quickly. Uh, also, again, you're going to have more hunting pressure in spots like that unless it's super, super, super far back. And then again, you know, you find guys like us <laughs> that uh, are willing <laughs> to kind of get back there to get to that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, one thing that I definitely took into account was topography along with um you know vegetation along with what how old vegetation is and that's kind of like the subtle you know little uh features that i was you know hitting on especially like in alabama you know where i was finding like a subtle saddle subtle bench or something that also related with other major you know uh 
topography features, like a major creek that was maybe a couple hundred yards away, uh, you know, big ridge top, something like that, but also had the vegetation that I thought that would hold deer, especially with high pressure, which uh, in Alabama, what I noticed was a lot of the older slut cut pines that, you know, they might have cut, you know, they might have, it might have been the first time they ever thinned them you know, 10, you know, five, six, seven years ago, and they haven't been thinned since, but you know, the trees, I don't, you know, you're, you're the one with the basal area or whatever you call that tree per acre. You know, there's, there's probably, you know, a tree every, you know, 15 feet or so. And, you know, once you get up above it all, you can see through it, you know, relatively well, you know, it would be kind of tough to bow hunt it, but you know, with a pistol or rifle, you're, you're, you're okay. You know, you can see 50, 60 yards. And I noticed that the deer really enjoyed stuff like that because there was tons of food, tons of browse, green briar all kinds of stuff that they could feed on but also at their level they were highly concealed and they could not only smell most things around them because in some of these areas you know definitely would swirl but also they could hear pretty much anything that was coming around uh made for great bedding area it was just a win-win situation uh and that's one thing i kind of noticed was again looking at some of the smaller things because in the past you know especially hunting public land you're trying to hit these big major features and the thing about that is when you go after these big major features if you can see it on the map the other everybody else can too yeah they're gonna see it and a lot of times you go places like that and you see a lot of you know this time of year you go in there and this is the time of the year to check those things because you're gonna go in there and you will see normally hunting pressure sign you know you're gonna see bottles of deer urine you're gonna see water bottles there. you're gonna see uh deer wicks you're gonna see 69 sitting on the ground yeah i mean you're gonna see stuff like that in these major areas um a great example uh me and kyle uh or yeah kyle um went turkey hunting earlier this year from grip wild hunting some public land in alabama that i've never stepped foot on at least on this track never ever stepped foot on this place and we were like running these dr- drainages and r- ridge tops and stuff for turkeys i'm like man i'm like dude i'm like i looked on started looking at onyx i'm like oh man there's this major saddle right here and i walked over there we were walking the ridge top and i walked over there and dude there was like three wicks there was a bottle of deer year in there oh, there's yeah. an old water bottle there's an old freaking there, I mean, there's uh, all kinds of stuff that and you can tell guys have been sitting there for who knows ever how long. Yeah. I mean, doesn't mean those spots aren't bad or aren't good, but you just, you're putting yourself in a situation where, Hey, you know, you're more likely to have someone walk on you. You're more likely, even if you hunt during the week, you're also more likely to hunt some place that has quote unquote, high, more highly educated deer for that area where deer have had experiences with someone on that ridge top on that saddle mm-hmm. has smelt and have seen them, everything. And they kind of notice her edges. Um, and I truly believe that's a, that's a factor, especially on some of this higher pressure public land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that you're exactly right about that. Those, uh, subtle terrain features were awesome last year for you. Like you, like nobody should listen to me for deer. Cause I've freaking struggled. And Jacob was like shooting deer in self-defense last year. It was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, pretty much. So I think I missed that buck in Georgia, like the last week of September. And from the last week of September, pretty much until I killed that buck in December in Alabama was like a struggle fest for me. Like I saw, I saw two really, really, really nice bucks in Tennessee. Uh, one of them kind of ran past me chasing a doe. I didn't have a real chance at him. And then the other one I had a great chance at that we just kind of blew, just not thinking. Um, but other than that in Alabama, mm. man, I, like I struggled big time and you were, you came down here and did really good because again you were kind of looking for that stuff and you were going to places that other guys just frankly weren't going to 
Uh, yeah, I think – well, I think I saw it too in Tennessee because that's one thing I started doing different in Tennessee. Because mm-hmm. when I first got up there in August, I was like hardcore trying to scout major stuff. And, dude, I was finding people sign everywhere. I mean, I was on a piece of public that is known for, you know, quality deer, but also it's just known for a lot of locals hunting it. I mean, just a mm-hmm. ton of hunting pressure. And I freaking found that the first weekend I went out other than also finding ticks and everything else. And, uh, dude, I was like, dude, I got to do something different. And that's when I freaking started talking to Jonathan. And then I started kind of looking on the maps and stuff. I was like, man, you know, I got to find something different and start going into like super subtle topography areas, super subtle, uh, um, edges when it comes to like different vegetation that that's the mm-hmm. stuff that i love dude i mean you can see it on a map but it's so subtle dude and what i love guys and anyone listen to this you can see this on a map where what one thing i love to do is find that one major you know find this major terrain feature that just jumps out at you whether it's you know field edges you're hunting you know around ag or you're hunting waterways big creek drainage whatever and then do that and then draw yourself like a, a, a big circle around it maybe like you know you know, three, 400 yards around the edge and then look for subtle stuff on the edge of that, that buffer zone. Okay. You know, where's something that's more subtle in that little area? Cause there's most likely there's going to be deer that come through those areas, but most likely it's going to be after hunting hours uh, or before hunting hours. Uh, just because again, especially if there's hunting pressure there, you're hunting a place like I was with a ton of pressure. Those deer are going to be staging somewhere else. They're going to be coming through these other subtle features while working down to that area. And that's kind of like what I was doing, dude. It was freaking working left and right. I mean, dude, I saw more deer last year on public than I think I've freaking ever seen ever. I mean, period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so. and between the two of us, I mean, we saw quite a few, I mean, really nice bucks, like quality, quality deer. Shoot. It's not um, getting started about that. God, yeah. So. I mean, just, but, you know, <laughs> seeing them and killing them is two very, very different things. But, I mean, oh, yeah. we, we were within range of a few really nice bucks and just either, you know, we didn't get a shot or we screwed it up. But we, we both ended up killing pretty decent bucks last year. Not Definitely not the biggest bucks that we ended up seeing, but I mean, we had a pretty good year last year. Um, but I like your idea about finding a big terrain feature and then looking at everything around it. I think that's an absolutely fantastic idea. And last year, this, I mean, without a doubt, is kind of one of the things that I think that I was screwing up was I was focusing on those big things. I was kind of going to my old reliable spots, and obviously other people had been hunting them. They weren't secrets anymore, just like most things on public land. Like Probably the hardest lesson I ever learned on public land is like you find something that looks fantastic, and uh, you are never, I mean never, ever, ever, the only person that knows about that spot. Like It's a hard lesson to learn, but I mean in most, in 99% of cases, it's it's true. Um, some yeah, spots see, might well, not get well, hunted as hard as others, but I mean, dude, there, you don't, you don't have a secret spot most of the time. Like somebody knows about it. Well, exactly. Well, the thing is just because someone knows about it doesn't mean the gigs up. The mm-hmm. thing is then to try to figure out when, at what time during the week would be make, or would make my time most efficient. Okay. Yeah. Cause if it's a good spot, it's a good spot. But the thing is, you know, you don't want to be going in there like a guy hunts hard all weekend, like the same spot all weekend you don't want to necessarily be going in there Monday morning. Okay. Yeah. But you know, if, if you do know it's a guy that's working the week, you know, you know, hunting a lot on the weekends, you know, try to go in the middle of the week, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, I love going like on a Tuesday, dude. Cause mm-hmm. I think a lot of guys, you know, they might go Monday morning, Monday afternoon, but I don't know. We don't see how much pressure like on a Tuesday, a Wednesday, Thursday, you know, Friday starts picking up and of course the weekends, it just ramps up. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people can have success. Again, if there is somebody hunting, just kind of figure out like, okay, when do you think this guy's coming through here? Or, heck, if you meet the guy, be like, hey, 
you know. Yeah, just talk to him. I mean, yeah, just talk to him. I mean, a lot of guys are super secretive and crap, and I understand that, but like, you can talk to the guy and be like, hey, you know, uh, I see that you're hunting this area. I've been kind of doing the same thing too. Uh, you know, kind of see if he'd be willing to kind of talk about, you know, when y'all are going in there versus him and see if there's anything that kind of aligns with that. And shoot, maybe, maybe you find somebody that's a, a you know, either a stone cold killer or somebody that's also maybe willing to kind of learn a little bit from, especially if they're hunting stuff like that, especially if you're just, mm-hmm. you know, kind of new to kind of getting into these areas, especially if you're new at public land hunting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, there's so much content out there right now. There's so many podcasts. There's so many magazines. There's so many online blogs. There's so there's Facebook groups. There's Instagram pages that are helpful. There's so much stuff out there that's like telling people where to go hunt. And there's like, to me, I feel like there's kind of like a, like a mainstream way of doing things. Like you have your general tactics that kind of they work, you know, but a lot of people use them. And then you have kind of your more off the wall, kind of weird stuff. Like I would classify the hunting beast style as that, uh, where it's just not that many people do it. But I'm, but I mean, I'll tell you what, last year I kind of was doing a little bit of everything. And the minute I did something really weird that I wouldn't have normally done or I hadn't done before, I killed a buck. And then, you know, I, I was kind of off from there. Then start my Dude, season really I'd picked cr- up after that. I agree. Like, dude, like hunting off the ground early season was like crazy. Yeah. Like way more successful for me than what I thought it would be. I mean, dude, I had a chance to shoot. I shot a doe and I literally had a chance to shoot a buck right after her, but I wasn't hundred percent sure on the legality of it. For some reason, I thought you could only shoot one deer on public land a day, which was stupid. turns out you can shoot like, okay, don't quote me on this, but it was like something stupid, like, I don't know, three a day, like three does a day. And then like a buck or something. That is crazy. Yeah. But, yeah like stuff like that like you said dude's doing stuff that like a lot of people like who in their right mind is is bow hunting off the ground early season not many people yeah not many people at all especially in the rain when it's it rains so hard you cannot see 100 yards from yeah and uh, dude my buck you know me and uh michael pike went out there and he was hunting with me and we kind of both covered different sides of this bedding area and i'd had history in this one little spot before where i'd i'd had bucks come by me before daylight and it was the rut, and it was driving rain. It was cold, 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 and rainy. It was it was pure, absolute misery. And looking at the map the night before, I'm like, you know, there's this little itty-bitty hardwood drainage that kind of juts into these pines, and something happened to those hardwoods, and I can tell on the map they're all dead. And there's light penetrating. I know it's going to be thick as heck. And if I can get up and I can see into that, I'll probably have a pretty good chance at seeing something. And sure enough, I basically climbed way, I mean, I, those Bullman uh, silent approach steps, you can get pretty high up in those daggum things. So I used every single last one of them, stretching as far as I could, and I got way up in this pine tree in my saddle. And I was sitting up there in the driving rain, like I had my hood on, I had my freaking head tucked in, and I basically climbed over the top of this bedded doe. And I mean, I was literally sitting just watching a bedding area, I could see the beds, the doe eventually, I think, saw me and ran out of there. And not 10 minutes later, that buck came through. And he was literally looking down and smelling the individual beds. And I was in a spot that most people wouldn't have hunted on a day that most people wouldn't have hunted. Um, and I was using a saddle, which most people don't hunt out of. So I had kind of the perfect combination. And that pine, you couldn't have got in in, uh, in a, uh, a climber or anything, which most guys are using down there. So I just did something weird that other guys weren't doing on a day that other people wouldn't be doing it and it paid off big time finally broke the ice and killed a pretty nice buck 
Yeah, I was going to say, you know, how did, you know, especially like adding the saddle to the lineup since, you know, last year was your first year doing it. How did that like change like your tactics on like going into places like that and not necessarily have to worry about having that stand on your back? Um, uh, I mean, it's a learning experience. First of all, it's a heck of a lot easier to carry in. Like, especially early season when it's hot. I really wish I'd had it in early season because that's what made me order it was – that early season stuff in September in Georgia, finally, I was just like, I cannot carry this freaking stand anymore. Like, I have to order a saddle. So I order it, and, like, freaking ten weeks later, it comes in. Um, and uh, started hunting out of it, and it gives you – it it lets you go a lot further. Um, and it's just something that, for me, I had to learn because it, it gives me the confidence to go so far that sometimes I was going too far, and I was getting a little too confident – um and then another thing is just getting comfortable in the saddle i basically didn't practice hardly at all before getting in it and so when i got out there i had a lot of hunts where i was extremely uncomfortable like if you don't have your saddle set up right it is the most painful way you've ever hunted in your life like it hurts straight up it hurts and uh and i i mean i don't know dude the saddle changed a lot of things to, in my opinion, which, you know, maybe I have to tweak it some more, it's it's just flat out not as comfortable as a summit, but I'm not out there to be sitting in a lazy boy. I'm out there to kill a deer. And for the mm-hmm. amount of versatility it gives me and the, the amount of trees I can get in, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. I mean, it's definitely one of the best pieces of gear in my arsenal. Now, that being said, the... I'm not going to say you can get in any tree because you can't get in any tree with anything. You know, there are certain trees that work well for a saddle and there are certain trees that don't work well for a saddle. And then there are certain trees that don't work well for anything. So just keep that in mind. Uh, if anybody's out there thinking about getting a saddle, it's not like you get it and you can get in literally any tree. You can get in different kinds of trees with a saddle, uh, that are for just for my style of hunting more helpful like i can get in smaller trees on the side of like a cutover a bedding area or i can you know maneuver around limbs or whatever um but you know it might not be that ideal if it's you know a telephone pole longleaf pine you know in a pine savanna but i don't know i've rambled (laughs) no i mean no, I think that's a good assessment. I mean, I think it definitely changed my style of hunting just because I was more comfortable hunting off the ground with it because yeah. I could wear it with me. I mean, literally, which, I, you know, the, the funny thing is both deer, so I killed, let's see, I shot one opening day, Tennessee, and was able to recover her. Um, but again, that was, this, I didn't even have a saddle at that time. I was just literally hunting off the ground because it was too freaking hot to get up in the tree, in my opinion. Yeah, and get within like you know twenty yards of a doe that was you know just feeding, um, and then the the doe I did kill a couple of days later, like I think four or five days later, I actually had a stand, took a stand out there, dude, with me, hung hung it in this freaking tree row, okay, around some around some fields, hung it in a tree row, literally while I'm hanging, it is just the rain is coming down. Now I thought I had rain gear, this old camo jacket I've had forever. Nope, it's sponge. It turned into sponge, soaking <laughs> wet. And I was like, I'm not sitting in the tree while it's just coming down. Like, there's, there's no way. So I just sat at the base. I, you know, I kind of went back between this tree row, these uh, rows of trees, and just sat down. And it just kept coming down. Put my phone underneath my a couple jackets and a, and a Ziploc bag to kind of keep it dry. Uh, phone and wallet was the only thing dry that day. Um, inside my boots. I mean, water running down my legs. And then finally, it got to the point where it like died off and was just like 
coming down lightly. And I just started kind of walking around. I started noticing persimmon trees all around me, dude. They were just loading deer sign all underneath. I was like, man, I'm just going to try to ease on through this little privet thicket and just see what happens. And man, didn't make it 30 yards and kind of sat and just stood up against this cedar. And then freaking all of a sudden, the freaking deer just started walking towards me. And yeah. It was, it was on like Donkey Kong. But yeah. You know, that whole aspect of just, like, not having to worry about something on my back, I could wear a backpack in. Yeah. And I, I don't know about most of our listeners. I cannot shoot I cannot shoot for crap with a stand on my back. I just can't. Um, one thing is I don't practice like that. I don't know how many guys actually do practice like that. If you're walking in and have to take a shot with a stand on your back, I don't know how many guys are out there could actually make a decent shot, especially anything past, like, 20 yards. Uh, where at the saddle – I'm 100% confident. I mean, dude, I'm, I'm confident as heck off the ground with my backpack on. Um, and that's just huge. I, I really do enjoy that. And, again, you know, some people say it's not as lightweight uh, or it's, you know, it's very comparable to other tree stands out there. That, now, I said it's tree. But, again, there's the versatility it gives me, especially on, on the comfort of, like, hiking in. It's, yeah. it's It just can't be beat personally, in my opinion. Yeah, that and that's that's another thing that kind of pushed me over the edge, which this is the last thing about saddles because then we got to move on a little bit. But um, the, that's kind of the last thing that pushed me over the edge with the saddle thing is, like, that early season time in Georgia, I was having, like, a miserable time carrying that stand around but also like i was i was hunting these bucks in like a very hunting beast style of hunting where i was like seeing them at night in this field and they weren't there that long after dark so i'm like they have to be better than the daytime somewhere close to there and so i was kind of scouting with the stand on my back i was finding really fresh buck sign and setting up on it every day and the thing was is that i'm having to like really sneak into these areas because like i'm sneaking basically into bedding areas because this is one of those areas with kind of soft edges again where you know you have a cutover on one side and there's the hardwood drainage it's got a bunch of privet in it and then on the other side you got like a pine like planted pine forest and so it's all a little bit thick but the edges are a little thicker so there's kind of bed just i mean there's beds all throughout it and uh going through there one i didn't like the stand being on my back because it would get hung up on stuff and it'd be loud and i got busted because of that stand a couple times but also from the aspect of hunting on the ground with the saddle i could just literally just sit down on the ground and hunt off the ground no problem like be good to go didn't have to mess with a heavy stand didn't have to clank anything around just be ready to rock and that was like the time where like of course like we me and jacob both watched the hunting public a lot really look up to those guys we learned a lot of stuff from them um and we had seen them hunting off the ground and then also that early season stuff jacob was having success hunting off the ground so i was like i have to get one of these things so that's why that's kind of what pushed me over the edge about it but um we'll have to do a podcast on saddle hunting but anyways kind of moving on from that uh what what would you say is kind of one of your last things to look for this summer we'll call it number five like what what's kind of your last big thing that people should prioritize trying to find this summer and of course that would be food sources in my opinion uh, you know not only trying to find something that would be efficient like when season opens up like you know me hunting georgia this year living in georgia you know season opens i think it's september the 8th um yeah which is fairly i mean that's the earliest i've ever would be able to hunt yeah it's uh, really early for, uh, well except for august which well we well i gotta talk to you about what we got going on in august but uh anyway um, this is early. So, you know, food sources then is going to be totally different, uh, compared to like, you know, it's going to be happening in Alabama when Alabama opens like on the 15th or whatever it's going to be in October. Mm-hmm. 
just because, you know, that early in, in September, most of the acorns are not dropping. You might have some white oaks starting to drop, but, you know, a lot of that's still, you know, a couple of days away with not maybe a week or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so food sources can be different. And not only early season food sources, but I'm very, very interested in late season food sources, which around here for sure would be like wa- uh, water oaks, hands down, I think. Oh, big time. Uh, or live oaks also, if you live a little bit more south of us. I have no clue what the – oh, well, I kind of know what a live oak is. Live oak. Laurel um, oaks and willow oaks as well. Okay, whatever Andrew said, I don't know if that is, but <laughs> again, he's the well, almost no, you're not arborist, whatever. Um, forestry, <laughs> forester, there you go. No, but um, you know that, but also late season food sources. You know, when I'm looking for late season, one thing I'm I'm highly interested in is, of course, like you said, you know, water oaks and live oaks and all that kind of stuff. But also, I'm interested in, like you said, you know, uh, greenbrier. I'm interested in you know, any kind of browse that's going to give the deer, you know, a leg up in the, in the off season. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing I love looking for is if you're in an area that has ag, that's fantastic. But if you have any kind of CRP, any kind of native grasses, there's a ton of, most time there's a ton of natural, you know, browse in those areas that those deer will absolutely hammer in the late season. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, one thing that a lot of people don't realize when you're, again, we're talking, you know, kind of focusing on public land here, guys, but again, you can apply this to, any private land that you hunt, whether it's a ladies club, whatever. But a lot of people look at hunting public land as like, oh, what's on public land? And some people probably get, some landowners probably get pissed at me for saying this, but I look at what's on the private land side. If there's a green field 100 yards off the private land side, I'm looking at that property line. I'm scouting that property line looking for if there's any major trails crossing that property line going towards that green field. Or if there's ag on, on private. Uh, that's big in Tennessee. There's a lot of ag on private that's not on public um you can find that and kind of you know work those work those edges and everything and kind of figure out where those deer are crossing and kind of you know set up accordingly yeah um yeah. And, and just stuff like that you know that's to me is key is just trying to find yourself a solid food sources for the whole season don't focus just on oaks because you will get burned you absolutely get burned especially if the oaks whether they don't produce at all or if they're you know they're very you know sparingly producing uh, or sparsely producing, so you're having to find like that one tree that's really dropping, or they drop like crazy, and then you can't pattern the deer for nothing. Like yeah. you're just you're walking around till you find unbelievable signs of deer trapping, and you hopefully set up and find some. Yeah, so. you're absolutely right about getting burned on oaks because I got burned bad last year. And we talk about my buddy Matt Reeves from Southern Pursuit on this show like oh, every yeah. week because he he's like he's pretty good at hunting. Um, me and him hunt the same area. Or we did last year. We hunt. We were hunting the same area, and I was absolutely struggling to find any acorns at all. Like I, I just, for whatever reason, I just couldn't find like a good concentration of acorns. Like I might find one tree or something, but it just wasn't what I was looking for. It, it never paid off for me. But he found like a nice little grove of a couple white oaks that were all dropping, and I mean he was absolutely all over deer, all early season and pigs too, for that matter, where we hunt. Uh, so it's kind of the tale of two seasons. Like he really capitalized on the oaks, and I didn't. And I had a lot of trouble finding that stuff. And also, kind of going to another thing. Um, early season in Georgia, there was so the Georgia DNR on this place, which Alabama DNR does this too. In the past, they've planted sawtooth oaks, and the place I was hunting in Georgia, there was like a, a field that was lined with sawtooth oaks and the deer in the field it was like re-sprouted millet 
where they had planted millet and it had died and then we got a bunch of rain and it re-sprouted and it was like young tender green growth those sawtooth oaks which are not native i might add um had dropped all their acorns already because they dropped super early they they dropped before anything else in the woods and the deer were literally just walking right over those acorns like crunching them beneath their hooves to get to that re-sprouted millet so just because you have acorns doesn't mean that they they're going to be eating those acorns which you know sawtooth isn't necessarily like the absolute best thing out there for deer which contrary to popular belief but uh like you just have to be paying attention to what the deer are eating at that specific time. So at that time, it was that re-sprouted millet. Um, in Tennessee, when you shot that your pocket deer, they were hammering acorns there. It was red oak acorns. Hammering it. I mean, I have mm. never seen deer sign. It looked like turkey scratch up there. So much deer sign. You couldn't take a step without stepping on deer turds. I mean, they yep. were absolutely hammering it. So I mean, the food source thing is hard, man. The the for me, the food source thing is where you can really start thinking yourself out of a deer, because yes. there's so much to think about and there's so much to consider, especially when you start getting into this bedding thing. Because the bedding thing can can help you, but you also just literally think yourself into a coma, which is what I did last year. Like you you overthink it and you think this is that because this is here, this should be happening and why am I not seeing this when it should be like this? Like there's no constants and <laughs> I don't know, dude, you just get into it. And when you, when you don't see what you think you should be seeing, it kills your confidence and you're looking for the wrong things. And I don't know, dude, the food source thing is complicated, but the best thing I can say is just go with what the sign on the ground is telling you. Yeah. I think one thing that helped me last year, and this is something I was going to bring up a little bit later on, but, um, the aspect of being adaptable. Okay. I think that's one thing that hurt you last year that, but helped me was mm. you were very much kind of stuck in like what you did in preseason or what you thought was going to be the case from, you know, what you've had experience in the past. And yeah. you kind of ran with that where I was, I think me moving to Tennessee actually helped me because I was like, there's nothing out there that really got me that far up. So I'm like, I'm going to have to be adaptable. And literally I was, extremely fluent on what I was doing or, or fluid on what I was doing and really never did the same thing really twice in a lot of situations, never really hunted the same area except for that private land more than I think two times at the very most. Um, and I'm talking like a general area, not even talking like the same tree I'm talking like a general area. didn't hunt it more than twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of, just cause you know, if the deer weren't doing what I was doing, you know, I'd change it up and try something different and go somewhere else to do something different. And uh, I think that really helped me. Um, and again, if it's, if it's not working for you, do something different. You know, if you're not seeing deer, and I think that's one thing I really did learn from Richard Fott uh, while interviewing him last year, was he's like, you know, don't do don't do something if if you're getting the same results and it's not positive results, stop doing it. Do something different. Oh yeah. And and that's to that the heart, dude. I was like, man. And he's like, also, yeah. You know, you know, hunt with confidence hunt where you when you start seeing stuff you're like i will kill a deer here and i started having that, that kind of confidence and dude i mean i was putting myself in situations where i was like sitting somewhere blind for the first time i just seen it on a map hike in there find something look good set up and i'm like dude i'd have deer within range or you know get opportunities at deer and i was like this is what oh, Richard was yeah. talking, hunting with confidence yeah. but also being adaptable yeah you chewed me out a bunch of times last year because i wasn't being adaptable you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. Same old same, man. Same old same. Yeah, dude. I, man. And I think we made a bet. I was like, dude, because I was struggling on this one place that me and you hunt. 
all season, and you were like, "Well, I'm gonna come up this weekend and hunt it." And I was like, "If you kill a deer, I'm gonna be so pet. I'm gonna be so pissed at you." And then you show up, and you and your brother kill a deer in the same morning in that area. I was like, "You, you bunch of golly, man!" I was so mad. And you was. It was funny the night before that that gun season opened. I had the chance at another doe at like twenty five yards of my butt. I decided not to shoot because I wanted to hunt with my gun the next day. Yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Golly, man, rub it in, rub it in, Myers. Golly, yeah, yeah, love it. Yeah, that's deer season, man. I'm ready for deer season though. I like. I'm glad we had this talk. But I'll tell you what, where I'm going tomorrow. I know for a fact I will not find hunting pressure there because it's, it's a spot that I'm probably going to have to hunt off the ground or hunt in a saddle. But it looks really good, and I've it's it's another one of those areas, man, where I've seen deer there kind of driving around or I've seen tracks crossing the road, and I know that they're there, but there's not like a clean little gate to park at or a clean little trailhead to park at, and it's thick and it's nasty and it's really young forest and there's a bunch of stuff mashed up together there, so... I know it's gonna. I know there's gonna be deer in there, and I don't think there's gonna be any hunting pressure. It's just a matter of if the kind of sign that I'm looking for is is gonna be there. Which tomorrow I'm gonna be looking for beds. I'm gonna be looking for potential food sources for early season, and I'm gonna be looking for possible terrain features that are gonna funnel deer that I can kind of capitalize on. Because it's gonna be kind of two two uh bedding areas where i'm pretty sure that deer are going to be hanging out we got like a little pond and a creek there um nice little hardwood bottom that should have acorns in it so really it has all the ingredients but the the kind of thing that i'm wanting to find is going back to what we were talking about is one of those micro terrain features where there's going to be like maybe a little saddle or around here there's a lot of bluffs maybe there's bluffs or boulders on the side of the creek and and there's a little pass that goes down through them that the deer are using a lot. So that's that's on my list for tomorrow, which hopefully I'll be able to capitalize on that. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, tomorrow should be a good morning. I'm excited. I'm really excited to finally get out and start scouting deer again because I am pumped about deer season. Well, tomorrow I'm going out with one of my uh, cousins coming up and we're do some bass fishing, and then I'm going to absolutely try to keep on – waylaying these uh these catfish so Heck yeah, dude. still got st- still got lines out as we speak actually as as we've been doing this episode i've actually been walking around checking lines and actually when we hop off i'm actually gonna try to catch try to catch me one of these freaking skipjack underneath this light right here for some uh cut bait for tomorrow so we'll see how that goes <laughs> Shoot yeah man i heard that so yeah uh for this summer you guys can be looking for um a bunch of gear review videos uh, now that we're kind of getting more into summer and things are a little bit more stable, um, we're going to be pumping out some stuff. Um, uh, we we heard your request. Some people wrote in and wanted to hear about hog hunting. So we're going to be doing some, a little bit of hog hunting stuff here and there. Uh, so be looking forward to that. Um, also be looking for a bunch more summer scouting stuff. That's not going to be just me and Jacob. We're going to get some people on who are a lot better at killing stuff than we are. Uh, so you'll be able to hear about that stuff too. Probably a little bit more fishing content. And uh, for the YouTube channel, I'll let the cat out of the bag for a video that I'm going to do, uh, hopefully this week, is um, shooting peepless. So with your bow, you, uh, yeah, so th- I wrote that when we started, the Southern, or when I started the Southern Outdoorsman as a blog, this is before me and you started the podcast, uh, I think the first thing that I, it might have been the first thing I put on the website was an article about how to 
uh, go peepless with an IQ bow sight. So I shoot an IQ, and I shoot it without a peep. And I put that on there, and that thing, every single day since I put it up, people have been looking at that. Like, that is a really popular article. So uh, I'm going to do a video about it because I love shooting without a peep, and apparently a bunch of people are very interested in that as well. So I'll put that out there. I'm sure there might be a video on it already, but whatever. I'll just show you how I do it. Um, but yeah, so look for that. Well, that should that should be a fun video to do. And if you're not shooting peepless, you're missing out, man. It's fun. I like it. Way that, no more peep twist, bro. No more you, peep twist. You, listen, you say that, and I've tried, guys, I've tried to shoot Andrew's bow before, and pretty much almost missed my target at like ten yards. So. No, that's not right. No, dude, you hit good with my bow. Oh no, it's sketchy, guys. Man, you're talking crap. He's talking crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta talk down to, I gotta talk down the video, man. I can't, I can't, can't always be like so, like overly positive about all our stuff. Dude, just be because realist. you said that, I'm gonna put a clip in the video of me shooting at 50 yards, and I'm gonna edit Whoa. it to where I only hit bullseyes, so I look really good. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> you're that guy. I hear you. Uh, I hear you. Yeah, there'll be a hard cut scene in between when you shoot to like when you walk up and look at it. Dude, hard cut, dude. For real, since I started shooting peepless, like I literally cannot even imagine going back to a peep site. Like it's, it's such a freaking hassle. I hate peep sites now. To me, that probably is, that, that's got to help with uh target target panic. I think. Yeah, there's less in so the main the main reasons I do it is one. For me, I can get on my target a lot faster because there's no peep that I like look through, and just for, for some psychological reason, it's just easier for me to get on target because I'm not really trying to line that up. Like I've got my anchor mm -hmm. point, and when I hit that anchor point, I'm good to go. Like I know, I know that I'm lined up there, and then you know I use that little retina lock on the IQ bow sight to make sure one I'm anchored right, but also to make sure I'm not torquing the bow, so it kind of knocks out mm -hmm. two birds with one stone. Um, another thing is light transmission, so you're not trying to look through a little hole, so you can see the sight a lot better. And uh, I'm, again, that just helps with you know low light shooting, but target panic as well. And three is freaking peep twist, man. Like there's nothing more aggravating than drawing your stupid bow and your peep is sideways, which you can serve it to kind of fix that. But even even then, it's hard to it's hard to serve it in a way that fixes that. And it's hard to find a bow tech who can really do that. And, you know, as your, st as your string stretches over time and gets older, you know, it'll begin to twist again, even if you served it right. It's just a pain in the butt. I don't like to deal with it. So I'm glad that I shoot peepless. All right. Awesome. Well, sweet. Well, I did. I'm pumped. So until next week, guys, stay tuned. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, like always. Facebook, YouTube, and uh, keep up to date on our stories because as we kind of do these little fishing trips and everything else, we will always be dropping stuff, especially on a story. Uh, so, you know, stay tuned because I always drop some entertaining videos, I believe. So, be yeah. ready for a good time. Oh, man. I got, I got to go to bed because I got to go scout here in the morning. But, anyways, thanks everybody for listening. Make sure you subscribe and keep an eye on the YouTube channel. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a, a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, we talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed 
for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no-brainer. You gotta be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.